And this morning, as we've just heard, we're going to be exploring a parable about a lamp and the nature and power of its light to dispel darkness. Let's take a moment to pray. Can I invite you to join me as we pray? And let's just be still for a moment. For the light has come. And the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. For the light has come and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. Father, we thank you that in the gift of your son, the light has come and his light disperses all darkness. And I believe, Lord, your invitation for us is to step fully into that light. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, shine your light, warm us in the presence of your light. Pray this in your name. Amen. So we had quite the storm for California standards this week, didn't we? My son was so excited. He booked his trip to Mammoth. He's, had his, he's already done the mountain climb and the snowboard down. So excited the season started early. Quite the storm. In fact, on Tuesday, I did a very strange thing. You can tell how long I've been here because I joined in with some Californians and I looked through the window of my office at the rain. I actually watched it rain. I can't tell my friends in London they think I've lost my marbles. But I want you to imagine for a moment being trapped in the darkness of an eternal winter. Not too difficult this morning in here. A little bit chilly, as we say in the UK. A little bit chilly. Last time I was here, in fact, I think we had about 150 fans. It was so hot that I just walked in and started to sweat. And so uh, here we are. It's not hard to imagine being trapped in an eternal winter. Constant snowstorms, ice cold winds, rain, cloud and long, cold, dark days. Imagine no spring, no new life, no warm, long summer days, sun on your face, no long summer nights, no lying on the beach or fire pits, no surfing, froyo, which is one of my favorites, Ben and Jerry's, no shorts, flip-flops, summer dresses, sunglasses. I wonder what that would be like, just long, cold winter days every day of the year day in, day out, year in, year out. Now, I'm from London, and in London, we know a thing or two about long, dark winters. But even in London, eventually they come to an end. Well, occasionally. And when they do, London explodes into life. People get in their sports cars, take the roof off and drive in the sun, even though it's freezing cold. People burst out on the streets, you may have seen this, and they sort of wear their shorts and t-shirts, and they go out into the streets and sit outside pubs and restaurants, and you see little white arms and legs everywhere you go. <laughs> the streets come alive. But in the story of The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis describes the land of Narnia as being trapped in a long dark winter for a hundred years. Who knows this story? Hands up if you know this story, hopefully most of us. And what Lewis is cleverly doing is he's using the image of an unending winter as a metaphor. 
It's not just a physical reality, but a metaphor for the darkness that hangs over the land of Narnia, controlling it. In Narnia, it's always winter until four children appear, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And they stumble into the land of Narnia and they discover faint whispers of an ancient prophecy involving someone called Aslan. This is how it goes. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. In the eternal winter of Narnia, there's hope of a light that one day will come and destroy and dispel and push back all of the darkness in the land. So the children's arrival becomes a sign as the prophecy says that Aslan is on the move. Now I want to suggest the same metaphor of bleak hopelessness, darkness and eternal winter could be used for the world we live in. At times, it seems like we live in eternal winter of great darkness. We've just been praying about some of this darkness. We've just heard a list of some, just a glimpse of what's going on in the world we live in. Not only the darkness of wars, famines, evil regimes and oppression, but also a moral, relational and spiritual darkness. I would argue sometimes you can feel it in the streets we live in. And it's into this darkness that God sends his light, his divine presence to dispel that darkness. Isaiah, the prophet, declares in chapter nine, verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Aslan's on the move. In chapter 60, verses one to three, he says this, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And this promised light becomes a reality in the life of Jesus, who in his own words declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that. So for Israel and for us in the world of darkness, the eternal winter has come to an end because the light of Christ has come. And in Luke 8, 16 to 18, he gives us insight into the nature of this light to illuminate, expose, and enlighten the darkness. Firstly, the light of Jesus illuminates. He says this, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. The purpose of light, is to illuminate and reveal the darkness. And just a little bit of light goes a long way in lighting up darkness. At nighttime, just a minimal of light in the house, a little hall light, 
in the floor, those tiny little things can illuminate the house. Moon, a full moon can shine through the windows at nighttime and light up a whole house. Small lights on airport runways help planes to see and headlights in our car kind of blow up the road in front of us with light, pushing back the darkness to help us see when we drive at night. This is how the light of Jesus and the words of Jesus work in our life. The psalmist puts it, puts it like this in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So when Jesus declares I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. He's saying that his light and his words illuminate our path and guide us through the darkness. Effectively, even though we live in this culture that feels at times oppressed by a darkness, we have a light that guides us, that leads us, that lights up the path in front of us. It's not only a light that illuminates our inner darkness, but it illuminates the darkness around us. In other words, when we're filled with this light, just like a lamp, we become rays of light to others. Some of you may be sitting here because you caught the glimpse of rays of light from someone else. And that's why you've ended up here. The very nature of this light is that we can't receive it or hear it and then go and hide it. To do so would be to suffocate it just like a fire with no oxygen. So the reason we put the lamp on the stand, this lamp on the stand, is to shine. It's to shine. That's our sacred responsibility, is we are people who shine in darkness. And we become a visible icon of God's light in a world that so desperately needs it. Secondly, this light not only illuminates the darkness, but it also exposes what's hidden in the dark. Jesus says this in verse 17, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Ooh, this is where it gets just a little bit on the uncomfortable side. Not only is Jesus hinting at the final judgment when one day all darkness will be dispelled and exposed, but he's also describing the way light works in exposing the darkness in us and around us in the lives of others. My wife has the uncanny gift of discernment where on occasions she has called, we've been married for... Um, Wow, don't pause. <laughs> Anyone who's married should know if you're a man not to pause on 29 years. Thank goodness. Praise the Lord she didn't join us this morning. <laughs> I'd be in trouble with that. 29 years. And she has a discernment. And every now and again, she will call it out. She has this capacity to see when someone who appears to be actually really life, really kind of full of light and wants to sort of dive into our lives. She has a discernment when there's something not quite right in them. And at times, she has called this out and said, Ash, I just, I've just got a feeling that there's something not quite right here. 
And this is the light in her, discerning that someone perhaps doesn't have the best behind their intentions. And she has saved us from getting enmeshed in some really murky spiritual relationships with folk who are just not necessarily all that in the light. Uh, that's the light in her that has discernment to see the darkness around her. But the light doesn't just expose the darkness around us. It can expose the darkness within us. Sometimes we try to hide from others, don't we? We try to hide things from others or we hide from others. Sometimes we try to hide things even from ourselves. Denial, you know? Dissonance, pushing things down, sort of like, yeah, no, that's not there. I'm just going to push this deep into the waters of my soul in the hope that it'll never pop up. Push it away. Hide it from ourselves. And sometimes we even think we can hide from God. Now, I don't do any of this. I'm talking about all of you, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Pastors never do that. I mean, the futility of thinking that you can actually hide or escape from God's light. It's like, I have three children. They're older now, but we used to play hide and seek. You know, children really young. And you say, right, count to 10. I'm gonna count to 10. And then you go and hide, okay? So just close your eyes for a minute, all of you. Just close your eyes. One, two, three, four, right, open them. And children do this, don't they? You can't see me, I'm hiding. It's ridiculous, the concept of us perceiving that we can hide from God's light. But we do, don't we? We hide from God's light. You know, you don't really comprehend how much darkness there can be until God's light exposes it until God's light exposes it. Just ask Jonah, Judas, or Ananias how trying to hide things from God turned out from them. Not great stories. David, in one of my favorite Psalms, describes it so well in Psalm 139, seven to 12, where he says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you get that, don't you? In the depths of the darkness. This is Jonah in the whale. In the depths, you are there. He goes on to say, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. There is nowhere there is nowhere that we can hide from the light of God. This is a light that exposes spiritual darkness and helps those lost in darkness to see. But the problem is, is that so often people prefer the darkness. John describes this in chapter 3, 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That will be true at the last judgment where we will all give an account for every thought, word and deed. 
You see, if we want to be filled, if we want to be filled with the light of Christ, we have to be prepared to let this light expose our darkness. Because the light of Jesus invites us into, has the power to break the hold of darkness over our lives. I was invited to lunch by a chap called Tom. He was a board member of our church. He was a board member of a, a huge um, nonprofit, incredible man of God, um, married with children, and he was a, a very, very successful, wealthy banker in the UK, and he invited me to lunch. And I'll be honest, I thought to myself, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm being invited to lunch by Tom. Maybe he's gonna give the church a gift, or us a gift, or this is great. It's a great opportunity to network. And, I went um, to his office. He said, we're going to have lunch. Uh, I, thought we'd also, I also thought we might be taken out somewhere kind of swanky for a nice meal, which you know, I have a tendency to enjoy. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I got to the office. He said, yeah, I've, I've booked a room in our building for lunch. I thought, oh, okay. Maybe we'll get takeaway. <laughs> and uh, we went up to this um, sort of penthouse office in his uh, building. And we went in and sat down and there were two glasses of water. Um, and I thought, oh. And then we sat down. I said, how are you, mate? And we got chatting. And then he picked up the water to drink. And he was doing this as he took a mouthful. And that's when I realized, um, oh, no. I know what's about to come. And for Tom, he had some secret habits. He had stuff that was going on deep in the darkest place of his life that he'd been sort of hiding for a really, really long time. And he then began to sort of weep and he then began to kind of confess what was going on in his life as he traveled around the world as a very successful banker. And what had been happening in Tom is that the, the deeper the light of God went into his soul, the more it impacted, the more it encountered the darkness. And within him, there was a kind of war going on between darkness and light. And he couldn't handle it anymore. This is how the light of God works at exposing darkness. And he stepped out of his darkness. And he started to step into a beautiful, deeply uncomfortable journey of confessing the darkness that was within him, of exposing the dark places in his soul that were actually related to much deeper places from childhood, issues that he'd been carrying his whole life, that he'd become so successful in his life as a banker, driven by these issues. But God's light wanted the whole space. And so he started to confess. He started to step into the light. And the deeper he got into the light, the more the light broke that darkness over his life. And the man was completely transformed. He confessed to the darkness, to all that was going on in his life, to his wife. He confessed it to those he was accountable to in the Christian community. And he went through a wonderful journey of inner healing, of exposing the darkness within him to the light. It was so beautiful that he woke up one morning and thought to himself, why on earth do I do what I do for a living? 
the reason I do it is for all the wrong reasons. I'm out. And he now farms in the countryside of the UK. And he is a better husband and a better dad. And he is full of the light. This is what the light does. This is what the light does. Open those places within us to his light and let it shine. Maybe some of us here are holding on to hurts, wounds, anger, lies, unforgiveness, or secrets, and God's inviting you to bring them out into his light. I can tell you there is so much freedom to be had. There is so much life to be had when God shines his light and when we step into his light. I can tell you from personal experience, life is just better in the light. Lastly, God's light enlightens. The one who has will get more. The one who does not have, what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Jesus isn't just talking about riches, talents, blessings or influence. He's talking about his light, how his light gives insight and revelation to his words and the fruit that comes from spending our lives in the light. It's multiplied. We get more. We see further. It's like switching the lights from the sort of small parking lights to full beam. The light increases and multiplies the more we spend our lives in the light. It's his light that enables us to see in darkness. It's his light that enables us to understand his parables. He goes on to explain that. It's his light that enables our transformation and enables us to live lives that are different from those around us. You and I have been called to be the light of the world, to make this light a visible manifestation in a world that's lost in darkness to be light bearers of Christ so that others might see it and be freed from the blindness of their own darkness. I remember the first time I walked into church, extremely vulnerable moment. I'd never been to church before. I'd never grown up in the, in the church. I hadn't opened the Bible before. I remember walking into the church, put me in a nightclub, I'd be having the time of my life, leading the show, put me in a church, and I honestly thought I might burst into flames. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. But when I walked in and everyone started to worship, I looked around. I was like, oh, my word, this place is so bright. I mean, for a start, they just smile at you all the time. It's a bit weird. <laughs> um, but they were bright, and it, it, it exposed my darkness. I could feel discomfort in their presence because they were just so bright. We are to shine with the glory of God so that we're not only light up our path, but we light up the path for others to see their way out of darkness. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, puts it beautifully like this. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. 
They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. They point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that they are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. Now that's a kind of community that's lit up with the light of Christ. The invitation of this parable is to come into the brilliant light of Christ so that we become carriers of this light and bearers of hope in a world that's lost in darkness, pointing to a different reality that has a different ending. Darkness, as hard as it seems even now, darkness does not have the final say. Do you know that? Darkness cannot and will not overcome the light. As dark as it feels like it can get. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. That's the reality that Jesus brings. But to do this, we need to learn habits that help us to remain in the light. I'm just going to mention briefly four things I want to suggest. Habits that help us cultivate the light in us and around us. First, worship. We just had a fantastic session of worship. Worship and God's word. Worship has a way of switching the light on. I don't know about you, but sometimes I I can get pity parties. I can feel a little down and and get, I get really good pity parties. I get VIP guest lists. I can get you on those lists. Um, As my wife would say, my pity parties are the best. And sometimes she very kindly reminds me, Ash, you need to go and spend some time with God. Go on. (laughs) And um, sometimes I have to sit down and intentionally, the last thing I want to do is worship, but I intentionally put worship on and I get up in my home and do a little dance, which I will not show you. And I determine within myself to step in the light and worship because worship pushes back the darkness. I determine to open God's word and to meditate on small chunks of his word. Doing that pushes back the darkness, recenters myself in the truth of his light. Remind yourself of God's character and promises. Meditate on small chunks of scripture. Allow it to birth light in your hearts and use worship as warfare. It's one of the best ways to step in to the light. Next is repentance. We need to be a community that continually invite the light of God to examine our hearts. We need to expose our darkness to the light of God. Then we make a practice of repenting from any idolatries, any habits, any stuff that we wrestle with, any struggles that we have. And we declare they no longer define us. Confession is one of the most powerful tools in the hand of a Christian. And it's a shame. I don't think we preach about it enough in the church. I know from personal experience the power of confession 
to break the darkness from within my heart. We might need to recognize any areas of unforgiveness in our own hearts. We might need to forgive others or ourselves. Repentance, powerful tool at bringing the light. Next, resistance. Vigilantly resist the temptation of darkness that comes from the culture around us. You and I are bombarded constantly by the temptation of the darkness of the world, from billboards to commercials to to different versions of what it means to be a man and a woman. And I'm not talking about the sexual, I'm just talking about what it means to be a man and a woman. We're constantly being bombarded by messages that undermine our identity as children of God and invite us into the kingdom of darkness. And we are to be a people that resist those temptations. You might need to declare out loud that the temptation you're facing will not have the final say. Lastly, gratitude. One of the best ways to practice sitting in the light is, if you don't, to give thanks for what we have. It's so powerful to remind ourselves the privileged, very small part of the world we live in that has so much. Even on our bad days, we have so much to be thankful for. We got together today without any persecution. We worshiped God. We've got a great band. We've got this amazing building, a little bit chilly, amazing building. We get to do this. This alone is enough to give so much thanks for. We have British pastors. (laughs) Joking, joking, joking. (laughs) Practice the gift of gratitude. Begin daily to give thanks for the small things that we take for granted and watch the light grow. Remind yourself of God and what he's done in your life. Remind yourself of your story in him. Go back to those places where you've met with God, where he's spoken to you through his word, where you've experienced his light and watch the infectious nature of gratitude birthing light within us. Four ways that you might want to implement if you don't. Worship, repentance, resistance, gratitude. God invites us always invites us, continues to invite us, is inviting us now. Any places that we have of darkness, he's inviting us to step into his light. And that's what I want to pray over us. So can I invite you to stand, please? Now, if you're anything like me, you have invited Jesus into your life, but you have life well-prepared The metaphor is that I've said to Jesus, come on in. Lovely to have you, Lord. Comes up the path, steps on the door. Yes, Jesus, come on in. And he comes in to the front room that I've prepared for him. And he comes in and he sits down. And I'm like, oh, Lord, it's so lovely to have you here. Thanks for coming, like a cup of tea. And then he stands up and he does this thing. He says, can I walk around the house? And you're like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure I want you to walk around there. Okay, uh, sure, come and look at the kitchen. And, and we let Jesus look at the kitchen. But of course, Jesus wants to walk through the whole house. And if you're anything like me, we have rooms that are locked in our house. 
I, I have rooms that are locked. I've locked myself out of those rooms. And I've certainly locked Jesus out of those rooms. And I don't want him anywhere near that room. Because in that room, there's darkness. In that room, there's a memory. In that room, there's unforgiveness. In that room, there's stuff I do that I know he doesn't like. And so I sort of rush him past the door. You know, come on, Jesus, this way. But you know, don't you, Jesus has this annoying habit of knowing what's going on. So, Lord, you're so annoying. Because he wants, he wants to keep the door open. He wants to shine his light into those places of darkness because he knows us only too well. You know that expression from the mystic. God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And so he knows the rooms that we have locked him out of. And he wants full access. When the Holy Spirit takes up residency, he wants to fill the whole house. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray. Even now, and if, you, if it helps to extend your hands out or if it helps to place your hand on your heart, whatever helps you as a humble expression of opening yourself to the presence and light of God. My prayers this morning were that we would, all of us, give God permission to let his light shine. And so, Father, I pray for those of us who have places where we've locked you out, would you gently, firmly, give us the courage to let you into those places. Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Holy Spirit, fill the whole house. Holy Spirit, bring healing, bring freedom, bring breakthrough to any darkness we might be wrestling with. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.